in preparation for, for hearing the message this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, pray that you'd be with us. I pray that you'd help us to, to focus on worshiping you, on, on glorifying you, on, on being your people as we, uh, as we hear the word this morning. I pray that um, we would, I pray that you'd just speak into our hearts, Lord. Um, I pray that you would help us to hear from you, help us to know you, um, help us to, to grow in our Christ-likeness through, through hearing the word preached. Um, and I pray, Lord, that you would help me to be faithful to the gospel, help me to be faithful to the, the message um, that you've given us through Christ, that, that we receive free grace, that we, through faith um, in your Son, were made brand new, and, and um, we are your people. Lord God, I, I pray that you would help me to not get in the way of that, and I pray, Lord, that that um, your Spirit would speak, uh, despite my my flesh and despite my weakness. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. So, <clears throat> years ago, I uh, a few years, probably five, four or five years ago, I was invited to um, uh, the Andersons' home. Uh, my wife and I. Actually, I think my wife was invited, and the kids and I came along uh, because Renee was having a chocolate eating party. Which those of y'all who know Renee know that that's like a daily thing. I mean, it wasn't like a you know. But she had this friend who worked for one of the companies that makes really high end chocolate, and they had like this party where you could come and you could try chocolate like very fresh, like it had been manufactured in in the recent days, and and um, I, I walked in the door with my wife, and as I was walking in, Brooke was walking out with, with a rifle, and when I got inside, I realized that he was ditching this event to go shoot coyotes, and, and I was the only man there then, which was not cool, um, and I remember, Brooke, if you're watching, <laughs> but the, uh, the, the it, I, I, being there with a large crowd of women, it was kind of, I don't know, not the most comfortable thing. I wanted to leave. I wanted to go shoot things. Um, but the cool thing that came out of it was, um, oh, my goodness, the chocolate was amazing. I, I, I am not kidding. And I'm kind of, I got a sugar, you know, like a sweet tooth. Like I, I it, it, was, it was weird because I, I, it was, you know, a brand of chocolate that I buy regularly. You know, like they'll have like the little chocolate balls at the register when you check out in places and you pick up one or two because they're right there and they're only like 30 cents. But these were just like a magic version of that. They, they were better. They tasted better. They melted in your mouth. They were like fluffy and soft and awesome. They were, they were something else. And the thing that was awful about it was that having purchased some of that chocolate and eaten it, I have never been able to get anything like it again. And so now every time I eat chocolate from this particular company, it's kind of a letdown. You know what I mean? Where you have it and it's like, oh, this is good, but it's not what I had that one time. You know, and, and having eaten this perfection version of chocolate, I, I'm, I'm now robbed of the opportunity to have something more. Um, as, we, as we dive into Second Peter, or First Peter chapter 2, the second chapter of First Peter, we're going to be talking about this craving that all believers have, right? It is an inborn craving that is a product of knowing Jesus. And it is having tasted this delicious, amazing thing, everything else just pales in comparison. And it sort of wrecks this joy that you have 
you know, to have anything but that. Like, it becomes what you want. And which is good, I guess, because if we had access to said chocolate, my lack of self-control would probably not. I'd be dead by now. I'd diabetic and heart attack and everything else. But um, as we dive into the text here, like, this is the idea. Peter's going to talk about this this pure version of fellowship with God that we experience and how it plays out in our lives and how how that shapes who we are as a people. And so um, as we dive in here, real quick, this is the first of two letters that we have from uh, the Apostle Peter. Uh, both of them are uh, directed to sort of a large audience in Asia Minor, like sort of that um, West Asia region there where Peter was probably involved in planting churches at some point. This is before 55 A.D., uh, probably around late 40s A.D. when, when Peter was still alive. Um, he may have been writing from Rome, though he doesn't identify, so that's kind of a guess. And the audience is a mix of um, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians who um, were largely poor, right? And were experiencing a significant amount of, like, persecution, um, they were excluded from their communities. They were mistreated as a result of their faith. Um, in the series so far, like, like last week, we talked a lot about hope and how uh, the week before we talked about hope and hope is the driver of our faith. It's this future reality where like I'm going to be in heaven, where there will be no more suffering and no more hardship, no more um, getting snowed in where you can't get out to the road. There'll be no more uh, man flu. There'll be no more of the, the, just this garbage that sort of wrecks life. Um, and, and we live aimed at that hope. Um, last week we talked about how that hope shaped how we behave. Our, it becomes our identity and it becomes how we decide what is right and wrong and how we live our lives and everything else. Um, as we get into this, um, this is sort of a continuation of that argument. And Peter is going to do something funny here, which makes it really hard to study Peter. He's going to make a point and then he's going to digress. You might call it point rabbit trail. Right? Like he's going to make a point and he's going to, oh, but let me explain something now that we're there. And then he'll come back to the point, the next point. And, and while we're here, let me explain. And it becomes this pattern in Peter. And a lot of people have struggled with um, analyzing Peter as a text. Um, but yeah, it, it, it'll be all right. So we're going to jump in. We're going to actually start in chapter one because um, chapter two starts with the word therefore. Right? And if therefore is the word you're starting with, that means what was said before is. Kind of important, right? Um, so, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seeds, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are, all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So Peter ends, like this first chapter ends with Peter saying, listen, you've been purified. You've been made new. You're a whole new person. And this means you should love one another. You should be intimately connected to each other. You should become like a part of each other. Like this love should be the driving determiner of your interaction in your life. That is the foundation of all Christian ethic, Right. So when I decide how to deal with, you know, my family, that, that's my driver, is the love of Jesus. Um, when I decide to how, to how to deal with my neighbor, the love of Christ is my driver. Um, it is the foundation. It is the truth that makes it possible. And um, 
that is just who we are. We're born new, not of something that's going to go away, but of something that is forever. And this is who we are. Like we are people of the word of God. Um, and so then Peter jumps off from there. So he says, therefore, right, therefore, since you are new people, since you are, you know, of the imperishable, you are people of the word, therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now watch this. This therefore is a huge deal because um, if we're going to be people of the word, then we really can't be people who are slanderous. You know what I mean? Like I, I will meet believers who have someone out there that they can't. In fact, I've been this guy a lot, so I'll just talk about me. We're like, there's somebody I have to deal with, like at work, or somebody who shows up in, in the news every day, right? Or somebody who um, is related to me, or somebody from my past. And, like, I'll have this malice toward them. Well, I can't really be this person of the word if I'm full of malice, right? I can't be a person of the word if anger is my driver. I can't be a person of the word, like, like who is, you know, deeply, like, loving my brothers in Christ if one of my brothers in Christ is somebody that I deceive or if somebody that I like am hypocritical in my dealing with, or if it's somebody that I'm jealous of, by the way, jealousy, man, that is a huge thing in our culture. Um, and it, it is the anti version of what we are. It is the version of us where we look at people and we say, you have that, but I deserve it more. Right. Instead of, you're blessed and I'm happy you're blessed and I feel like God is glorified because you're blessed and let's, let's be happy about that. And I'm blessed in the way I'm blessed and I'm happy about that and it is good. Envy is sort of the opposite of this and slander, which is like gossip and saying nasty things about each other and all of this other stuff. Like this, this Peter says, listen, get rid of all of this garbage. Take it and like strip it away. Um, Paul's version of this would be like putting on Christ. Like putting on Jesus like, like he's a coat almost, right? Where, where we take off this old identity and we put on a new identity. Um, every once in a while, I'll watch these, these uh, YouTube videos where women put on makeup. Not because I just because it's fascinating to me where you'll see this lady and she looks one way. And by the time like 30 seconds later, she's put on, you know, with a trowel, eight layers of makeup. And suddenly she's a different person, right? Like, I, come on. You all know what I'm talking about, right? Like I'm not... <laughs> Or you'll see, you know, like, oh, look, this is the ad before Photoshop, and this is it after, you know, and, and it, it's nothing like it. Like, this is this, you know, take away all of that garbage. And really, it's not a great example because we're not to paint over. We're supposed to shed it. We're supposed to get rid of it entirely, to exfoliate it, I guess. Oh, my gosh, I need to stop watching YouTube. Um, <laughs> way too much YouTube. Um, so purify yourself. Put away all of this garbage. Now, like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now watch this. It's easy to read this and assume that he's talking to very young Christians, but he's not. Okay? And this is important. Um, because the assumption would be, oh, babies, milk. Because, all right, so like babies, they, they got pretty much one dining option, right? I mean, like, that is it. Um, and, and, you know, you say, oh, well, that's like baby Christians. They should crave this. They should crave that. That is not. That is everyone. Got it? 
He is not talking to babies. He is not talking about new believers. He is talking to all believers. And he is saying all believers crave this milk. Um, there was a point in time where we had to put Abby on formula. Young, I mean, I assume moms know what I'm talking about. Dad should have no idea. Um, <laughs> except that now it means you have to get up and feed them. Um, but we switched Abby to formula, and Abby would not eat it, right? Because it wasn't, it wasn't what she wanted. It wasn't what she was after. She wanted, like, the real stuff. I want a nurse. I don't want that bottle. I don't want this. I don't want that. I want a nurse. Like, this is what I want. And, like, babies, you know, if you've ever had to try to transition them, it, it's hard. I have been told I can't speak to this. It didn't look that hard. But, like, I... It, it, it is this challenge because babies naturally prefer this. This is a culture, by the way. In the first century, it was very common for people to nurse children up to like seven years old. Um, and it sounds weird in our culture. We're like, oh, that's insane. That's so gross. That's actually like antibiotics before antibiotics were a thing. Everybody with me? Like you would live, your kids would tend to live longer if they could like piggy bank on mom's immune system. And so nursing was a great option and people just did it forever um, because it was, because it was just better for them. They didn't know about germs. They just knew that it worked. Um, And so like, like this is a culture he's writing to, Hey, all of you know what this is. All of you guys, you know, you, you did this when you were kids, everybody did it up until you were like seven. Um, Crave this, desire it. Um, this is what nourishes you. It's like me and the chocolate, right? Once you've had the good stuff, everything else is like second tier. You know what I mean? Um, an example, an alternate example I would offer would be my kids. Um, my daughter, is she in here? I hope she's not in here. Um, my daughter um, loves spending time with me, right? She loves it so much that I can gauge her, like if she starts getting cranky and becoming stubborn and miserable and impossible to deal with, it means that I have to take half a day to just spend with her. And amazingly, it fixes it. Um, my daughter, she is happier if she can sit in my lap um, and, and just cuddle with me like rather than like do all kinds of things. I mean, she wants to spend time with me, right? And, and you can give her options like, oh, you can go watch TV or you can sit here with me. And she will. Come sit here with me because, like, that's, that's this closeness, right? And nobody else can step in and do that. Does that make sense? My kids stay with the bitses sometimes, and I'm assuming Abby is cuddly with y'all, but, like, n- nobody's me because she desires that connection and that intimacy. What he's talking about here, we, we think of pure spiritual milk, and we want to think of it, like, especially in American church, we think of it as programming. You know, like, oh, I'm going to Bible study. I'm going to youth group. I'm going to this. I'm going to that. This is about intimate connection with God, which is why he uses this, right? It is about spending time sitting in God's lap, having a conversation. It is spending time in God's presence, hearing him. This is, um, this is worship, right? Like, this is um, when... when and I, for me, like the best part of the morning on Nathan's Sundays is um, that time first thing in the morning when I'm sitting in my office and I'm reviewing and I'm studying and I'm making sure I got all my ducks lined up and I'm touching up my notes and everything. And Nathan comes up here and he's got that that Nathan voice and he sings through the songs of the morning. And it's the one time I get to listen to it without worrying about what I have to get done. And so I'll read and I'll study and I'll pray 
and I'm kind of in that place already, and I get to listen to Nathan, Nathan worship, and there's just this presence to it. It is amazing. And I actually, I look forward to it regularly. Like, it is a big deal to me. I like it. Um, there are preachers I listen to that I get done listening to them, and I feel like I've eaten a steak. You know what I mean? There are people who are my spiritual mentors that if I miss talking to them for too long, it throws me off. You know, I start to feel a little flat. Um, this is prayer, like spending time like talking to God and unburdening yourself and, and in his presence. Like this is um, digesting the word of God and digging into it and finding just the good stuff. Um, and in fact, actually, um, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is actually, that's from Psalm 34. You should study it at home. It is fantastic. Come and taste that the Lord is good, right? Like like fill yourself up with God and understand that he is good. Um, there was a time in my life where, where um, I looked for everything in the world to make me happy except for my relationship with Christ. And when God finally grabbed a hold of me and shook me and woke me up, and made me better, um, I crave that every day. Um, and it, it, I tasted, man, as good as, as good as beer is, like, as good as whiskey is, as good as this stuff is, the Lord is better. Like, this stuff is empty. It's just filling a hole with something that can never fill it. I like filling a hole with sand, or sand. Like, you ever go to the beach, and you dig a hole, and you pour water in it, and what happens? The water disappears, right? Keely could tell you all about that today. Um, and you can all hate her for it because <laughs> she was in Hawaii. Um, no, I'm kidding. We love you. Uh, but it's like that. We fill ourselves up with things, you know, TV and, and this and that, and it never satisfies us. Um, this, is, this is something substantial that will fill us. This is the Lord. This is our relationship with him and intimacy with him is what we are designed for. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to split this into two sermons. Um, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Big, huge chunk of text right there. Um, he is about to start drawing out of Isaiah, and we're going to get to the Isaiah passage in a minute. This living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God, that's a line from Isaiah 28, um, which is kind of a fun passage, actually. Um, but So he's going to go back to Isaiah in a minute. He's going to pull a Paul um, here in a minute. But, but like in the immediate, um, he says, listen, this living stone rejected by men, you're a part of it. You are living stones being built into spiritual houses, right? Um, I am astonished, like, at the fantasticness of, like, good, close, like, like fellowship. You all ever been in, in times like that where there's a group of people you pray with or you're, you're just knit into and there's this intimacy through, like, Christ that, that you just never experience anywhere else? Um, this is... Uh, what the church is supposed to be. And when Paul or Peter is talking here, he's saying, listen, you're being built into a spiritual house. That spiritual house is the church. Guys, we are the spiritual house. We are being built into something more. And, you know, we, we worship in this building, and the building is important because it gives us a place to gather and everything else. But, like, at the core of it, the church is is the people, right? 
It is us. It is us a part of each other's lives. It is us fellowshipping together. It is us glorifying God and serving each other and being Christ's body together. Like we are being built into the church. Um, And so if you can imagine, like we get cinder blocks, like the cinder blocks in this room, um, they are there. And if you took them away, this building would disintegrate pretty quickly. Um, Just, you know, as you go down them, it's, you know, it's the cooks. It's the Bonmillers, it's uh, Dwayne, it's, you know, the Andersons who are still a part of us even if they don't live in the neighborhood anymore. It's um, Terry and Twyla, it is the Sylvans, it is, and like all stacked together, all put together, all joined together, we are the body of Christ. Like we are the church people. Um, and this is, by the way, because he started out with get rid of all of this malice and envy and everything else. If your stones start pushing together, I... I bad things happen, right? Like they're designed to be joined together, not to crush each other. And if they crush each other, the building crumbles. If your stones want to fight each other, the church won't stand. If, if If your stones start to separate, which is a big problem in towns where the ground sinks underneath houses, I'm not saying that happens anywhere in particular, but then you have like where the foundations start to spread out, I went into a house once where there was like a four-inch gap in the slab. And I'm I'm like, I can see the dirt through your floor. Like, I could put my foot in there. You know, that's not right. Like, that is – and eventually the house will collapse. That was in Houston. Um, This place, this this body of Christ, um, we're called to put away all of that stuff because when division grows, when separation happens, when we harbor bitterness and malice and we gossip and we tear each other apart, that split happens and the church falls. Right? Like we are made brand new, made into living stones. Stones last, right? Um, stones are amazing that way. I, I actually love brick houses for that because they tend to not fall down um, or they take longer. Um, but, but this is what Peter is talking about. He's saying, listen, you guys are being built into this church, the body of Christ, the church building itself. Like this, this is you. You are the stones. Um, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There's always a desire when you read this. Like Peter is paralleling Old Testament Israel, right? Like God's people were meant to be a holy priesthood. They were meant to be like um, they were meant to be sort of God's people on the earth and like represent and tell and share like about who Yahweh is and everything else. Like that was their job and they failed in it. And that is unfortunate. Um, but like Christ was God's response to that. Um, we are that holy priesthood. And we are that holy priesthood because we are the people of God. Like we are, we are adopted into his family. We are redeemed from our sins. We're forgiven. We're made like Christ. And we're to carry that on. And as a group, as a people, offer spiritual sacrifices. There's no specific as to what that is. There's always desire to say, hey, that's a reference to this or that's a reference to that. That is being Christians together, Right? Spiritual sacrifices are serving each other. Spiritual sacrifices are, like Paul says, consider others more important than yourself. Um, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 13 stuff, right? That is spiritual sacrifice, patience, kindness. Um, it is being Christ-like toward each other. It's worshiping together. It is meeting each other's needs. It is being the body together. That is what Paul is ta- or Peter is talking about here. Um, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So everything that we do that is serving Christ is only acceptable to God because of Christ. Um, For in the scripture it says, 
See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. This is a line from Isaiah. And this is a huge deal because, um, because you can actually go to the Isaiah passage. Um, I, think it's, I think it's Isaiah 28 specifically. Um, you can go to this Isaiah 28 passage and read it. And what's going on at the time is God is telling the people, hey, I am like, I'm your God. Like he's making promises to them for salvation. He's saying, listen, the sign of that promise is this capstone in Zion, like this, this, you know, well, Jerusalem and the temple and all that. Like it is this, this thing in, in the center of your nation. This is this sign of the promise I'm giving you. And like, all you have to do is understand this is the truth of what's there. Like, like, you know, and I will save you. And then Isaiah goes on to say, but my people have rejected me, right? Like my people have kicked it aside. They've ignored it. Um, and so when Peter says like this, precious cornerstone um, has been tossed aside um, which he's going to get to in a second Um, he's presenting this idea that this cornerstone that was laid um, like it was it was Christ like all along that Isaiah and Peter is kind of paralleling Isaiah into or applying Isaiah into the modern church like this cornerstone is Jesus and it's been cast aside it's been ignored it's been rejected and like that salvation that the Jews should have had, like that Israel should have had, they rejected it. Um, and those who trust in it will never be put to shame. That's us, guys, right? That cornerstone. By the way, in the ancient world, and it's cool actually because you can go and um, visit the temple complex. Actually, it's not the temple. It's the Mosque of the Rock in Jerusalem. And there's this enormous stone laying next to it that used to be the cornerstone. Right? And they uncovered it about 30 years ago. They found it, this giant rock that's laying in the dust next to it. And it would take, I mean, it's huge. It's absurd. Um, and, and what they did was they cut it into this perfect line, and you use that cornerstone as the guide for everything. Right? It's like your initial square. I had a house in Indiana. Nothing was square. You ever deal with a house like that? Where, you know, especially if you're laying floor and it's like, okay, i got to measure every time. Because I've got to cut each piece to the lack of squareness in this room. Um, that initial cornerstone, if it wasn't cut exactly perfect, then you would build this giant building and nothing would fit together. And, like, it was a lot of work to undo it. Um, it's one thing to work with plywood or, or two-by-fours. It's quite another thing to work with, um, you know, granite. <laughs> um, so he says, listen, this cornerstone, this guide by which everything has been built – um, it's there, um, and God's people have rejected. Now, to, the, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And actually, um, oh, yeah, that's 2-7. Like this, this cornerstone piece, the builders rejected it, meaning Christ, and the, the Jewish people rejected this cornerstone. They rejected Jesus, um, this, this stone, but it has become the cornerstone. When we say that again, it's this line by which everything is built. And so we as living stones, as his holy people, we align ourselves with him. And there's sometimes, especially in modern United States, like we have this cultural tendency to be all about individualism, right? Um, he's talking about this idea that we are interconnected and we belong together. You know, that we are a part of each other, like our cinder blocks in the wall, right? We are, we are one, um, and Christ has been rejected, but now he is the line by which everything is built. Um, and that stone that causes people to stumble and that rock that makes them fall, which is again from Isaiah, this is a reference to this idea that Christ either becomes the way you line up your life 
where it becomes something that you have to deal with and just trip over, over and over again. I, I've got a good friend who found Jesus, or didn't find Jesus, who, who uh, came to Christ recently. Um, and, and his whole life he fought with the idea. And, and one of the things he would say, he says regularly to me is, I, I kept tripping over this. I kept tripping over that. I kept struggling with this. I realized I was wrestling with God over this. And, I, and at the end of the day, you boil it all down, and he was stumbling over Jesus. And, like, it is right there in the way. Um, and that's the truth of who Christ is. We, we line our life up with him or we fall apart. Um, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Meaning that, like, these, these folks who rejected Christ, and he's talking about the Jews at this point, like the, the nation of Israel that rejected him, like that this was going to happen. It was always going to happen, and they stumble over who Christ is and that they will do it forever. Um, by the way, he talks about this rejection. Part of this is to parallel because his readers are people who are in a spot where they're getting persecuted. You all with me? Um, and he's saying, listen, they're persecuted for their faith, and you're going to be in the same spot. And, like, understand he's the capstone that's rejected, and you're lining right up with that, right? And they're going to fall over the message of Christ, and you're going to experience some persecution here. You're going to experience some rejection. And if you don't believe me, go out and, like, try to – carefully obey christ in all situations and see what happens like it will it will become a stumbling block it'll become a hardship eventually but you are a chosen people he's going to use four terms to describe like the church you guys so but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation god's special possession congratulations this is you and so on the mornings you wake up and you say i am worthless on the mornings you wake up and you say, I am a failure. On the mornings you wake up and say, I will never be good enough. Understand, this is who you are. And you're that way because Christ died for you. You're a chosen people. God chose the church. They are his people. You are a royal priesthood. Not just a priesthood. You are a royal priesthood. You stand before God and offer your life. You're a holy nation, meaning like set apart and different, like, like special, unique and wonderful. God's special possession. I have um, I have a lot of books. You know what I'm talking about? Like, the, have any of y'all ever been in my office or my house? Rebecca makes fun of me because I'm an addict, um, and I I'm in denial about it. I have I have hundreds and hundreds of books. I have a handful of books that are different, right? I have a set of books my wife gave me when we were dating, and they have a spot on a shelf in my living room, and I. I have read them many times, and I kind of look by and I glance at them, and I, you know, I think about that first Christmas we spent together and how wonderful it was. I've got a book that I read when I was a Christian for less than a year that I have read, I don't know, 25 times, um, and every time I read it, I find something new, and it's become this special part of my faith. Like it just has changed me. I have a, I have a book I read when I had a horrible anxiety problem. And I've given away probably 30 copies of it because it helped me find Jesus in dealing with my stress. Um, and it is a huge deal to me. Like, and every time I go back to it, I find something else. And I can remember, like, when I read this section, it's like, oh, I was here on this day when I read that. These books are special. You get what I'm saying? They're a unique possession that sits in my home. I have a copy of Luther's Catechism. I am not a Lutheran. I will never be a Lutheran. I was a Lutheran when I first started going to church, and I learned a great deal about who Jesus is going to Lutheran catechism class as a 14-year-old kid, and I've still got that book. 
And I still sometimes sit down and read it because it is special. There are a lot of books I have that I could probably give away or throw away and it wouldn't matter. But there are a handful that I have that are huge in my life. Um, We are like that to God. We are his special possession. Like Abby is my special possession and Titus is my special possession. You don't own your children. Yeah, they own us, but... They're unique in my world. They hold a special place that's, that's you know, this is who we are to God. Um, that you may declare praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So he describes, he gives us four descriptions, right? And then he steps on and he says, listen, your job is to declare praises of him. God brought you out of the darkness. God saved you. God made you new. Your job is to praise him. The primary job of the church is to glorify God and enjoy him, Right? Um, is to tell how good the chocolate was at Renee's party, even though I'm never going to get it again. Um, Our job is to glorify, to point to and say, this is good. Say, have you tried the pure spiritual milk? It's worth having. Finally, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Um, Meaning once we were scattered and now we are a nation, right? Once you were lost and now you were found. Um, once you were nothing and now you are adopted like as a royal priesthood. Now you are a special possession of God. And it doesn't matter what the people around you have thought. It doesn't matter how you've been treated or what you've gone through or how bad you've blown it in the past. In Christ you are this. Like this special like possession, a holy priesthood. And you've received mercy. By the way, this is out of that Isaiah passage. It's a paraphrase out of the Isaiah line um, because Peter is drawing this out. He's saying, listen, this is us. So my challenge for you today as we walk out the door, um, like, like what do we do with all of this? Well, understand first, as we live our lives, we align ourselves with that cornerstone, right? We line ourselves up with Christ. We set aside this old way and we crave this new way. We crave to be in line with that cornerstone. We crave to grow in it. We desire and hunger after this relationship and intimacy with God to be formed together as a people um, and to glorify him so that we can back up over and over again and say, I belong to Jesus. I am his man. I am his woman. I am his people. Um, And my challenge to you is like to look at your life and ask, like, am I doing this? Am I a cinder block in the wall with a crack next to me? You know, am I the one that, that, you know, that like has started to push against the blocks against it, you know, and teeter a little bit? Am I, am I the one that's trying to get out you know, and push my way out? Is there a big severing line between me and one of my brothers and sisters in Christ? Like giant sever. Like, oh, I believe in Jesus and that guy believes in Jesus, but I don't like that guy. Um, and ask yourself, are you, are you reflecting what Peter's talking about here? I'm going to close in prayer uh, and we're going to go eat lunch. Uh, and then we're going to do our meeting. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with us today. I pray that you would help us, um, Lord God, help us to crave after you. Help us to crave after the word. Help us to crave after your, your um, presence and, and worshiping you. Help us to crave after you entirely. Um, make us into your people, Lord. Form us over and over again, like Peter's talking about, that we would be a holy priesthood, that we would be your people, um, that, that your son would be the capstone of it all, Lord, just the the, the glorifying high point of our lives. Help us to be, help us to be um, another brick in the wall that glorifies you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.
Have a good day, folks.